Hello everybody, it's a late Sunday afternoon and the weather has been brilliant today, really summer-like and I had good food, I made a long hike, I had some nice exchange on Twitter, so it was a nice day but I didn't record any episode of my podcast and this makes me a little bit unsatisfied. Problem is... In the moment, I don't have any specific topic about which I could talk for more than a few minutes. So maybe I will just talk about many things in a random order. Please excuse me if there is no red line going through this episode. So maybe I start with a little synchronicity I had a few days ago. As you probably know, my current scientific project is on a statistical analysis of electroencephalographic recordings from humans which are sleeping. So these are whole night recordings with multi-channel EEG. And I'm trying to find out if there is anything interesting going on in this EEG data, even within a fixed sleep stage. So probably you have heard of these sleeping stages, which are the wake state and the rapid eye movement Uh, sleep and then you have this non-REM states in one and two and three and so and these uh, sleep stages have been defined by medical persons and they can be detected by certain characteristic signatures in this EEG data and the clinicians they really divide the whole sleep night into these discrete sleep stages But, of course, the question is if maybe even within some sleep stage, there could be some sub-stages, for example, or some other interesting developments. So anyway, this is my present topic. And I'm using not only machine learning, but also some classical statistical tools to analyze the data. And in particular, I'm now using also the method of super-statistical analysis, which is something I have developed in the context of biophysics. Anyway, I have now some first results in this project and I wanted to write up a first paper. And so I was already writing the text of the paper and I had used the word electroencephalographic recording. And because I'm new in this field, I was not even sure if this is a word this is, which is regularly used in the context of, of sleep research. And so, <laughs> believe it or not, this was the first time I checked Wikipedia and read the article about the EEG. And there I learned that the first time an EEG recording has been done in humans was in 1924 by some German guy called Hans Berger. And normally I don't pay much attention to names, so surely I would have forgotten Hans Berger if I would not have read the book The Flip from Jeffrey Cripple in the next morning. And this is a book about scientists who at one point in their life had some very interesting and unusual uh, inner experience, some epiphany. And from this moment on, they were more or less forced to give up their materialist viewpoint of the world and to adopt a kind of more idealist worldview. And sometimes these transformative experiences even happened in the physical world. 
Anyway, the morning after I had read this Wikipedia article, I read the first example of such a scientist. And believe it or not, the example was the same Hans Berger. And it turned out that this guy had been serving in the military for a time period. And one spring day in the year 1892, he was riding a horse. And for some reason he was tossed from the horse, fell down into the direct path of a very fast wagon, which was carrying a heavy artillery gun. And normally he would have been killed, because I think this uh, wagon was carried by many horses even, but somehow they managed to stop the wagon just centimeters before the accident happened. So luckily Berger came out of this accident unharmed, but just at the same time his older sister who was living many miles away, had suddenly the feeling that something terrible has happened, something which has to do with her brother. And so she even made her father send a telegram to Hans Berger. And Hans Berger received the telegram a little bit later in this evening. And the strange thing was that he never had before received a telegram from his family. And so this is, of course, a very, very strange coincidence, if it's a coincidence, And so Berger immediately made the connection that this must have been something like mental telepathy. And this incident made Berger, who had originally different plans for his career, made him pursue psychophysics. And I think really psychophysics is a highly interesting field because it really connects this hard science of physics with the subjective experience of the psyche. And there are very close correlations between the two. And well, in a way, my present project with the EEG data is also a kind of psychophysics. And because Berger was then working in this field of psychophysics, he eventually came up with the idea of measuring electric small potentials in the opened skull of a patient. And then he really measured the first brain waves. Uh, in humans. I think several years before him, some English guy had already made a similar discovery in uh, primates. But anyway, uh, so it's, it's funny, I think, that I came to Berger uh, at the path of my own project with EEG, which he had invented. But the reason he invented it was some accident which turned him from a hardcore scientist to somebody who believed in mental telepathy. Anyway, it are such little synchronicities, like the one with Hans Berger, which I encountered within 24 hours two times, and uh, probably never before. So such kind of events, for me, they show me that I'm the right path in life, you know. I have the same experience with books. I'm trying out a lot of different books, but many of them I don't read through because I don't resonate with them. And I feel if I resonate with a book, usually already during the first five pages or so, and then very often these, these books change my life in a significant way. So I don't recommend to follow some reading plans of other people. Uh, I just really like to, uh, for example, if you go to some online library, just 
browse around and see where your mind leads you to and read in this book and in that book. And if it resonates, then it's worthwhile. Now, talking about books, another book that I'm reading at the moment is from an American chemist called Alexander Shulgin, if this is the correct pronunciation. And the name of the book is Pikal, A Chemical Love Story. So this chemist has devoted a great part of his life to exploring different chemical compounds which are psychoactive. So, in other words, drugs. And this is also one topic I find highly interesting because it's again this, this very close borderline between the real world, so the, the, the outer physical chemical world of chemical substances, which are so closely related to our inner experiences. And I simply find it so remarkable that if you look at these chemical compounds, which are known to have different effects on the human psyche, they just consist of the same small number of atom types, which are typical for organic chemistry. They are arranged in a little bit different way. So structurally, these, these compounds are just trivial variations of each other. But the effect they have on the psyche seems to be really qualitatively different. And so alone the, the fact that there is a chemical which can profoundly change our state of consciousness is absolutely remarkable and <laughs> I don't understand it at all. But in particular that these many qualitatively different subjective experiences correlate with relatively boring changes in the structure of these molecules, this is even more remarkable. And a very similar effect, which is much safer <laughs> legally to explore, is with sounds. So I have, I think, mentioned in the last podcast several times that I recently like to play around with these sometimes even free synthesizer apps uh, on the iPad or on... Uh, by the way, I'm talking very often here about the iPad, and maybe you think I'm one of these Apple guys, but I really have only one iPad, which I basically use for, for music, and my everyday smartphone is, is an Android, a very cheap one, actually, and I use Windows for my PC, so <laughs> I'm not an Apple guy. Anyway, so playing with the synthesizer sounds is also so fascinating because you have this multiplicity of knobs which you can turn to modify the sound and you just turn one knob a little bit and you get a qualitatively completely different character of the sound. It's emotionally different. It's, for me it's really a, a whole world of emotions I can explore just by turning a few knobs. And isn't that also very very strange? Of course, it's only strange in a materialistic viewpoint of the world. For example, Bernardo Kastrup, with his analytical idealism, he would say that the substance, the drug which you are taking, this physical substance, is just the subjective experience of a mental thing. So it's, it's the way a mental phenomenon presents itself on the screen of perception. And so then, of course, it's relatively easy to believe that uh, for us, not directly visible um, mental phenomenon 
is affecting our own psyche, which is also a mental phenomenon. And so the fact that chemical substances can cause your consciousness to change to a new state, they are always only strange in materialism, where this would have to bridge the gap between the objective physical world and the subjective internal world of your mental phenomena. And as I have said often enough, I consider this gap, this hard problem of consciousness to be absolutely fundamentally unsolvable. So in idealism, the problem disappears. However, I find it interesting that such a powerful thing as a psychoactive drug looks on our screen of perception very unremarkable. So I imagine just some boring, I don't know, white powder or something. You would never assume that this thing can change your consciousness. And the same, of course, is true also with the, for example, acoustic waves uh, from the synthesizer, which have these very different emotional uh, responses. Uh, if you look at the waveform, uh, when you plot it on an oscilloscope, for example, it looks, yeah, just some ups and downs. So from the waveform alone, you would have no clue whatsoever about the emotional content. And maybe all this can somehow be explained by using again the analogy with a, a virtual reality headset. Evolution has constructed for us some headset which is showing us the world out there, all this maybe mental content, in a way that is useful for our surviving, but not really for our deep understanding of the nature of the world. So we are seeing things that are survival relevant, like apples or other humans or tigers, but we don't see many other things. But then again, I wonder uh, if these drugs, for example, uh, can also be used for healing. I mean, I'm not, not talking about psychoactive drugs now. I'm talking generally about drugs that have been used for medical purposes a long time before the first professional doctors were there. We all had these shamans and so on in the old uh, tribes. So I wonder really if it's statistically possible that humans have simply tried out all kinds of plants and fungi and so on and checked the effect and found out over millions of years which one has which uh, effect on the body or on the mind. I, I think this is very unlikely. And so the alternative would be that there are some people, maybe these shamans, who have for some reason some mm, instinct to find the plants which are useful for a certain purpose. And who knows, maybe this instinct even has some genetic underpinning. So maybe nature is creating always a small fraction of humans with these genetic mutations that are in the end creating this higher sensitivity for the plant world and so on. Anyway, lots of wild speculations in this episode. I'm nevertheless happy that I have finished the episode and I think I will stop at this point and wish you a nice week.